Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. My childhood was kind of um, chaotic. I said my mom and dad split when I was very young, like a toddler. There was men in my life, but they were, you know, majority of the time the wrong ones. Even back then, I had a sense that God was real, but I had no idea about his character. I automatically didn't trust him to begin with. I think the first time I got drunk, I was maybe 12. And then when I got to high school, it kind of really took off with parties and stuff like that. And at, at first it was fun. I would say by the time I was 17, I was, you'd consider me an alcoholic. Because I'd, I never really knew how to deal with this, the baggage that I had that I was carrying with me and um, the feelings I had and whatever emotions would come up, you know, I just, I just, I guess I just wanted to kind of forget about it and, and, you know, drinking was my way of doing that. You know, other substances followed um, in my 20s and I was in detox again and they told me about a place in Wilson. It was a a set of recovery homes. It was a recovery ministry. I had nothing but the clothes on my back and a trash bag with everything that I owned in it. But I was truly broken when I got here. I started coming to this church. I didn't know what I was searching for, but I just knew that I didn't want to live that way anymore. I started hearing, you know, every Sunday that that invitation. One Sunday I decided to pray that prayer that I, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he was raised. There was there was more for me in Christ than than there was in the life that I was living. I thought all I had to do was just say, "Okay, here it is. It's yours. You know, now let's just move on with life. That's over." Which is not the case. Um, there was stuff that God wanted to deal with. There's stuff that you know that I was holding. You know. And uh, like, you know, I had a big wound or something and I'm sitting here like this and God's like, well, what, what's that? I mean, you know, let me see it. And I'm like, no, it's, it's nothing. You know, it's nothing. I didn't grow. I didn't grow in my relationship with him and I didn't never got healing um, from the wounds that I had. I still identified with that, with that old life. Like that was me. The word addiction actually refers to actually a slave or a bond servant. And there's a Roman myth where um, it presents a slave master who he sets his his slave free, but that the slave had had gotten so used to his chains that he just wandered about aimlessly with his chains still intact. And I did that, you know, a lot. It was just the chains were more comfortable than what God was asking me to do. I look back and I don't really understand why God still loved on me through all that. I didn't deserve my wife. I didn't deserve the family that I had. Um, You know, I didn't deserve the the people who never gave up on me and and who continued to to try to make a difference in my life and speak truth into my life. And, you know, I wasn't willing to do what it took to heal, not only to stay sober, but but to, um, to grow and and to find out, you know, what it is, what, what, what are the things that God wants to work on in me? 
I caused a lot of damage. I mean, wreckage. I mean, my 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 poor wife. You know, she she stuck by me through all that. The very last time that um, I was in active addiction, the last time I used, um, will forever be imprinted in my mind. You know, the circumstances surrounding it and how bad it got. I was in a play, a very dark place. Like I didn't know, you know, whether I even wanted to be alive anymore. You know, I was in that kind of place. Um, I didn't think there was any hope for me. You know, I told God, I said, okay, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm yours. Um, I can't, I can't stay sober. I can't be healed. I can't be the father and husband that I'm called to be. I can't be the priest of my house. I can't be effective for your kingdom on my own because I'm a mess. I was given another chance. Um, I was given a, an opportunity to go to a, a top-notch treatment center um, for free. They encouraged me to, to go into those dark places that you know I try to, to hide and pretend like it's not there and to uh, to bring those things into the light and and look at them and you know say yeah that happened okay that wasn't my fault you know um, but there came a point when I'm responsible for my own decisions and um, so I don't blame anybody um, for where I ended up except myself because it was my decision to you know go the wrong way I've been sober going on two and a half years now. And, you know, not only that, but I've, I've really gotten a lot of healing. Like I heard uh, Steve, Steve Winslow talk about how, you know, you see an old junk car in the weeds and, you know, you drag that thing out of there and you work on it and you work on it and you restore it back to what it's supposed to be. So I think that's what God's doing in me. He's, uh, he's you know, knocking the dents out and, you know, buffing thing, you know, here and there. And he's like, okay, we got to get that fixed. Oh, ooh, there's a problem there. I didn't see that one. Okay. That's not always a one-time deal because, you know, I accepted Jesus in my early twenties and, and, you know, if you can do the math, I'm 42 and I've only been sober for two and a half years. So um, I still struggle with addiction even after I accepted Christ. So, and that, you know, that caused a lot of shame, but, uh, that doesn't come from God. And I, mean, I, I know that the Holy Spirit, He does convict us of our sin, but we're never, we're never meant to be ashamed or feel condemned by it, you know, because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I still got some, some hurdles to overcome, but uh, I do see myself, and it's already, it's already happened is, you know, I'm, I've been able to use my story um, to help others. My, that's where my heart's at. It's for people that are broken and, um, and people who are in desperate need of a savior. I'm actually kind of a productive member of society now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's good to see um, my wife and, and my girls have confidence in me. And that's something that I haven't seen in a long time. I'm not going to talk about what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. And, and that's proven to be 
an awesome thing for them because they're able to see me living in victory now, you know, where I was a slave before. There's nothing that God wants me to hold on to. There's no wound that he doesn't want to look at and heal. There's nothing that that he doesn't want to restore. Never too far gone. <laughs> My name is Ryan Matheson. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I have been delivered from drug and alcohol addiction, but God's still working on me. morning church very powerful testimony I hope that encouraged you um, because we're all coming at we're coming at this this place of healing from different very different spots but we're all in a, a very similar boat as, as our brother Ryan there I've known him for many years he goes to our Wilson campus and uh, what a powerful testimony I'm thankful for that this morning we're continuing our series uh, called from brokenness to blessing and really the concept of today's topic is this idea of confessing our guilt, dealing with our shame, dealing with our, uh, if we're feeling condemnation. That was such a powerful piece of his testimony was not just to overcome the sin, but to overcome it as a Christian, uh, which can be really, really hard. You feel a sense of, of additional shame that you, you shouldn't be struggling this way. And yet it's so true for so many of us and God doesn't want us to stay there. And so confessing our guilt, what a wonderful thing. We're dealing with the fourth beatitude, this blessed statement from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. This word blessed is this idea of supreme joy, contentment. And he says the greatest desire is to be right with God. That in order to really sense or experience satisfaction is to find your contentment, your rightness with God. And this is such a valuable thing for him to say that the only way we're going to get relief from whatever it is we've been dealing with, the only way that we're really going to find satisfaction is to come wholeheartedly thirsty, hungry, if you will, for God. This is what he's been saying. He's building upon every one of these blessed statements. is building on itself. And over the last few weeks, we talked about what it means to be blessed. Uh, those who are poor in spirit. We, we admit our brokenness. We admit our state. There's a blessing there. There's a blessing in those who mourn. We can release that grief to Christ. And last week we heard this blessing of, of meekness. That we can surrender our control to God. And now, now what does it look like? When I'm still dealing with some baggage. What do I do with that? That's where we're going to spend some time today. This commitment to Christ, this new desire, it, it all comes with this, hopefully, this, this hunger and this thirst to be made right. And sometimes we fall back, sometimes we stumble, and we wonder what to do with that. And it causes this thing called guilt that all of us struggle with on some level. We, we just do. All of us do. And I think it starts at a very young age. You can look at a child who's just done something wrong, and if you've seen this enough times, you know what a guilty face looks like. You have kids, trust me, just all you got to do is have one, somewhere around two or three, they're going to have the guilty face. And all of us as adults have experienced some feeling of shame and guilt in our lives, probably many times, maybe even right in this very week. What is this guilt? 
Well, sometimes, it's, and oftentimes, it's an appropriate guilt. We don't need to gloss over that. It's appropriate in the sense that the Holy Spirit of God is saying, you should not have done that. That is called conviction. Not condemnation, conviction. You feel a sense, you've, you've made some offense against someone or against God himself. There's something you've done and you feel remorse for that. That's an appropriate guilt that God wants to deal with. He doesn't want you to just hang on to it. He wants you to wrestle with it with him. But then there's this other false guilt that maybe is something that happened to you you had no control over, but you feel somehow you could have prevented it. You've got this baggage you're hanging on to that maybe you could not have stopped. And you feel that sense of false guilt. I like what Ryan said there. I, I never really knew how to deal with this baggage I was carrying. That was really the sense of his testimony. Is he came to Christ, but he'd never really handed over the baggage. <laughs> he, he came to the Savior, and yet he hung on to so much of this stuff. And God wants to deal with all that. that don't, I pray you never hear this at this church, that you know, just, just the first half of our motto, which is, come as you are. That's great. That, that is part of what we believe. However, that second half is more important. And be forever changed by the love of Jesus. That's what Christ wants to do. That's the kind of Savior He is. He doesn't want to just sort of save you. He wants to totally save you. And there's so much of you that you can't figure out. There's so many broken places, so many hurt spots, and you've tried to deal with them emotionally, maybe with some sort of substance, maybe with a relationship. Maybe you have relationship damage, and the way in which you wanted to solve it was with another relationship. And you're wondering why this is so hard. Because there's only one relationship. There's only one Savior. And He wants to save you totally. Not just partially. I love what, what, what Ryan's dealing with there. And what we're all dealing with. We find ourselves ashamed. And yet that's not where God wants to leave us. The, the American Psychiatric Association describes guilt this way. It's a little disgust. But, but common symptom of depression. And so many people struggle with depression. And not many people talk about the fact that one of the most popular symptoms of clinical depression is guilt. Shame. Condemnation. But guilt is one of those hidden symptoms underneath unhappiness and depression. That, that nauseating twist in your stomach that, that, that kind of accompanies this knowledge that you've done something wrong or something wrong has been done to you. And psychiatrists have say that they say that probably somewhere around 70% of the people in the hospital for clinical depression could leave today if they knew how to resolve their guilt. If they knew how to resolve their guilt, they could leave. Unresolved guilt then triggers so many things, and it can be a slave. It makes you a slave. Some, some try to deal with this in a lot of ways. I, I, I hope this morning, as we're going to be in the Psalms today, we're going to be in Psalm chapter th 32, and I just pray that God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit would begin to release you from whatever shame and guilt you might be dealing with. Maybe that's some stuff that you've been carrying around, some kind of baggage. Maybe it's little stuff, but it keeps cropping back up in your life. I pray that God's Word would release you today, would begin the process of totally healing you. In Psalm 32, David describes how confessing his own guilt led to living under God's blessing. And we can understand this too, how confessing our guilt leads us to live under God's blessing. I think the text is going to give us three really clear ways confessing our guilt leads to the blessing of God. Let's just a few verses, Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. It says, Blessed is the one 
whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent my bones, they wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. Listen to this, church. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. All of the, the ways, I think, that we get here about confession, about confessing our guilt, they all come from verse 5. And the first thing that the psalmist here says, this is a psalm of David, of King David. The first thing he says is, I acknowledged. How confessing our guilt to God brings blessing, here's the first. It acknowledges God's provision for sin guilt. Acknowledges. Acknowledges. The word, the Hebrew word there is yada, which means I recognize it. I, rec- I acknowledge it. But more than that, it's a step further. It's not just that I see it, I admit it. This is a piece to repentance, really. This is what he's speaking to. Is I have not only observed my, my iniquity, my sin, my wrongdoing. I've not just seen it. I'm admitting it to you, God. Look what's happened. Look what I've done. Look at this stuff. I'm now agreeing. This is really the, the idea of repentance as a whole is simply saying yes to what God has already said. That's the idea of repentance is, all right, I recognize that you call that a sin. I agree. That's what repentance is. That's a big piece. Now, it's also the change that comes from that. But step one is acknowledgement and saying, all right, apple is an apple, orange is an orange. I agree. That was bad. You say it is. And I know what damage it's done to me and in my life. I acknowledge it. But he goes a step further in saying that, and you forgave it in verse 5, that this acknowledgement causes God to show up. This isn't really all that foreign, or at least it shouldn't be all that foreign to you. Anybody in the room who is, is either a parent or has even babysitted a kid, if you just ever dealt with children at all, you recognize something. You cannot help restore a relationship with them if they won't come clean. As long as they're lying, as long as they're withholding information, and I have four, and they're all little, they're little liars, okay? And they all come out that way. It's not that my kids are uniquely broken. That's who we are as human beings. Especially if we're trying to save face. We're definitely going to probably lie. And so my kids will have done something wrong perhaps to one another. And I can never get to the bottom of this. I, I want to install nanny cams throughout my whole house just to get to the bottom of what's really, what happened because none of you will tell the truth. You say he hit her. And then I ask, a, sometimes I'll ask a third party. Like, well, you were in the room. Did you observe this happen? The third party is never paying attention in my house. I was watching TV. I didn't see it go down. Great. All right. It may, I don't think that's the case. They love snitching on each other. Um, they love to see one another get in trouble. It's, it's, there's a lot of brokenness in my house. Y'all pray for the Combses. But, but I can't make the situation right. As a, as a good father, I, I cannot come and restore a relationship unless first something has been acknowledged. Repentance is necessary even, our, even in our human relationships. Certainly it's true in our, our, Christ's, our relationship with the Father. Is that He's simply waiting for us to say, I agree. 
that this is not good for me. Will you help me? Restore me. Heal me. This is often a piece that we, we overlook. We think it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's huge. Look at the words there that, that God can overcome. He, he gives you a list of things in verses 1 and 2. This idea of transgressions being forgiven, sins being covered, iniquities no longer being counted. These are wonderful Hebrew words. The idea here of covered is the idea of literally filling up the, hole, the holes, covering a thing up. That, that we come before God all holy and messed up and He, he fills the holes. He covers the nakedness, the brokenness. He, he covers it up. And more than that, he doesn't count all this mess against us. We really have a hard time with that as human beings. Let's be very thankful. Let's, let's give God an amen that he's not like us in this. That he doesn't count our brokenness against us. I have the hardest time doing that with people. I have a long memory. And he doesn't. It's not that he's forgotten. It's that he's decided. I don't count that against you. Why? Because of Jesus. When I see you, I see Jesus. I fill up your holes. I cover up your brokenness. I love this text. I love what it says in verse 1-2 in, in the New Living Translation. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. What a wonderful place to find yourself. It, it begins here. It begins with saying, God, I recognize my faults. I understand where I'm messed up and I need a Savior. Will you walk with me in all of this? And then he begins to help us restore other relationships where we've been lying to people or just living a lie. Not that we've been verbalizing it, but that, that everyone around us thinks we're totally okay. We're a saint. And now we can finally come up and say... Hey, I've got this, but God's working on me. And that deceit now goes away, and all of a sudden you feel like a weight's been lifted. Because you've been walking around trying to put on a show, let me get prim and proper, when inside I'm exploding, I'm dying in here. But now I can finally say, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you, and look what God's doing. Look where he's working. And I'm okay with that. I don't have to be false and lying to myself anymore. We're all coming to this place. This is what the Bible says about us all. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, everyone has sinned. We have all fall, fallen short of God's glorious standard. We're, we're all in that boat together. And the psalmist in another place really is asking God to begin to do this process of searching out every broken spot. Taking this like almost moral, uh, personal inventory. Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You want to pray a dangerous prayer, pray that, that prayer. Search me, O oh God. I don't know if you ever have a day where you're like, you know what? I wasn't an awful person today. I never quite feel that way. Maybe you do though. You know, today I don't think I was a complete uh, stinker to anybody. I don't think I thought anything terrible. Uh, and then you pray a prayer like this and go, oh, oh wow, look at all that under there. Search me, oh God. It's a good reminder of all the places that God is at work. And His, 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 his grace and his, his mercy. Look at Romans 6. 
This is that next passage in the Romans road. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't just acknowledge that we've done something wrong. We also acknowledge that God has done something about it. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel. That's what I think sets Christianity apart. This is why this is the one true gospel is because we don't come at it and say we're okay. We come at it and say we are sinners. But God did something. That's what sets us apart is that we acknowledge, we admit the truth, and we also have to admit this wonderful thing. I'm not enough to fix it, but he is. He is. Now, God can help you, help us tell the difference between the appropriate guilt and that false guilt. Here's what the Holy Spirit of God does when you're walking with the Lord, when you're spending time in his word, when you're asking him to search you. The Holy Spirit will convict you of things. That's good. That's, that's a good thing. The feeling is appropriate guilt. It should energize you to repentance. This is why the Bible talks about this idea of don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Is that God is doing this work in you. This comforter is not only comforting you from sin's guilt, but it's also reminding you, hey, you, you need to stop just letting that slide. And he does that a lot in me. And I don't, I don't think I'm unique. I don't think I'm unique in the fact that sometimes I can't sleep at night because the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, you need to call such and such. That that, the way you handled that isn't right. You need to, often I just have to lean over and tap the person next to me. Hey, uh, I can't sleep because I was uh, a turd to you earlier. I need to uh, confess some things. And I don't always get that right. But the Holy Spirit just kind of sets on me. This is what I think the psalmist is talking about here is this idea of verse 3 and 4, this idea that, your hand was heavy upon me. That sounds bad, but it's not bad. It's good. It's good that the Holy Spirit rests his hand on me and says, Jonathan, fix this. Otherwise, you're just going to hang on to this mess when you could be free of it. That's appropriate guilt that moves us to repentance so that we can throw off the baggage. But then there's this other thing, this weird kind of guilt. I'll give you an example, the only one I could think of. And I know there's more. I just was having trouble uh, trying to consider this. But the one that came to mind uh, of a false guilt was this weird feeling of guilt I got uh, after my uncle passed away. And I, this isn't the first time I felt this. I felt this when my grandparents passed of asking myself, did I spend enough time with them? Of like feeling a sense of guilt that I didn't do enough. That, I, that, that, that now that, that, that season is over, especially with him, like he got sick and, and it was over in a, in a flash. And I felt like, man, I had just seen him weeks before. Did I do enough? Did I talk everything out that I wanted to say to him? And I felt this in other situations, not, not just in death, but in, in, in where I've seen people go astray. Where, where I've tried to be a mentor, tried to be a discipler to somebody, and they just went off the deep end. And I have this sense of guilt that, did I say the wrong stuff? Did I do enough? That's not appropriate guilt. That's a false sense of guilt. But I have to do the same thing with it. You understand this? I have to do the exact same thing with it. I bring it to God and say, help me to analyze this and understand it. What am I supposed to learn from it? Am I supposed to live here in shame? No, that's not what you want. Here, here, I'm handing it to you. Help me, help me to have this freedom from regret, this freedom from shame. Will you acknowledge it? Do this first. You can't really do anything else that, that the psalmist is speaking to until you first acknowledge it. 
and acknowledging that Christ has done something about it. Here's the second. The second way is that it no longer hides from our responsibility for sin. This is such a wonderful thing that he says. It's not just that I acknowledge my sin. In verse 5 it says, I did not cover it up. This is a wild thing that we do. This is a wild thing. I can cover a lot of stuff up from you guys. I can even cover up some stuff from my wife. I can hide things. And we're good at this. We can do this really well. The fact that we would try it with God is so funny. It's just hilarious. If you understand who God is, if you really know who he is, you know this is not possible. I can't hide stuff from him. So the only thing I'm doing is distancing myself from him. I'm not, he sees it already. I'm not concealing anything. All I'm doing is bringing to light my desperation and not unpacking it. I love that the psalmist here writes that King David says, you know what, I stopped something. Here's what I stopped. Here was a big, a big decision I made. I'm not covering this up anymore. I'm not going to try to hide this from you anymore, God, because it was, it was silly to begin with. I couldn't hide it. And, and, and this is what he's talking about in verse 3. In fact, he says, when I tried to hide my sin, when I, when I kept silent, as he puts it, my bones are wasting away. My groaning is all day long. I'm trying my best to look real good and pretend everything's okay, and I feel myself dying inside. But I don't hide it anymore. This is a wonderful piece of our healing. A wonderful piece of us finally releasing the baggage. It's not just, I know I've got a problem. Not just, I know that God's done something about it. This next piece of, all right, I'm not going to hide from you anymore. I'm not going to hide from you, God, anymore. I love the story of the Garden of Eden for this very reason, in the sense that the kind of God we serve shows up and starts asking asking for us by name. That Adam and Eve were just going to pretend this whole thing went down. And what I mean by that is, yeah, they, they ate from the forbidden fruit. And the first thing they did was they observed that they were naked and they, they hid from each other. It broke their relationship. They hid from God. And God comes into the garden asking for them. Where y'all at? This, do you understand this is still our God? Our, this is the unchanging one. When we go hide and say, oh, yeah, I've made this mistake, but you know what? I don't want anybody to see it, not my spouse. I don't want God to see it. God, I'm not dealing with you right now. Because <laughs> I know when you see this, you're going to make me feel a sort of way. You're going to make me feel some way about it. And he is. It's, it's part of the process. But he comes, he comes, well, not knocking on anything. This is a garden. I don't know. I don't know what this thing looks like. I had him knocking on the door. but There's no door, I don't think. He's just roaming through the garden. Hey, Adam, Eve, what's, what's going on with y'all? Not because he didn't know. He knew, but because he loves us. And he comes gently to us, comes gently to our heart. Hey, Jonathan, like, what are you hiding over there for? I know you're naked, dude. I see your mess. It's, it's not good. It's a problem. Why are you hiding from me? You, you, you remember I'm the only one that, that can do anything about this, right? Are you hiding over here? I love this story in that this is the kind of God, this is, this is one of his attributes is that he comes gently and he comes to help. And he's not, he doesn't come to like heavily convict them. Or, or Yet there's curses that follow. There's all, sin has now entered the camp for Adam and Eve and for us now. But he doesn't come there making them feel guilty. Here's the first thing he does. He covers them. He covers them just like he covers our sin. That's step one. 
then he begins to deal with the mess. I love, I love this piece. You can't hide your sin. You can try. You can hide it from others, but not forever. Not the people who love you most. You can only hide it, but for so long until it explodes. Numbers, 20, Numbers chapter 32 is really dealing with this idea. There's something they describe as sin guilt and what to do with it. Numbers 32, it says, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It, it will be uncovered. Nothing will be left in the darkness. And when you try to conceal it, you don't really succeed at it. Proverbs 28, it says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess it and turn from them, they will receive mercy. This is true not only before God, but also before people who truly care for you and love you. When you finally come clean, first to God and then to them, now people can say, Hey, buddy, I knew something was wrong. The people who really know you and love you, they may not know the details, but they know, I knew something was up with you. You've not been right. You've not been yourself for a while, but I love you. I love you in spite of you, and I'm glad you've come clean about this. This is, this is what can happen when we stop covering it up. Let me say this, something I've observed certainly in myself but in others is secret sins, I believe, have a little bit more power. And the reason is because secret sins cause more sins. Fo- follow me on this for just a second. You've made a mistake. You've done something wrong, and we all have. The moment you come right out in confession with that, it's over with. You've already brought it to the table. God has wiped it clean. And if you've offended a party, now they can deal with it and decide to forgive or whatever's going to happen with this person. But if you decide to keep it a secret, now what do you have to do next? You have to lie. You have to lie. Now your sins are compounding. Now I'm starting to forget what lies I've told. This happens to some of us. I mean... It's happened to me somewhere. I've, I can't even remember who I've told what as to why I've done this. This happened to me a lot as a kid. I'm just putting that out there. It happened to me a whole lot. And I always get caught for stuff. I certainly did with, as a kid. And I told my dad one story and couldn't remember all the details and told my mom a different one. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in deep now. It's like, no, that's not. Now, now I have to double lie to my dad. It's not really what I said to you, dad. They're like, what I told mom was more true. And they know. They know, my parents are not, they're, they're, they're pretty smart people. They, and, and anybody with, you don't have to have a law degree to look at a kid and go, you are lying. <laughs> you are not telling truth. So the secret sins begin to compound. And now this really terrible thing begins to happen. The Bible calls this the idea of giving the devil, the, the giving Satan a foothold in your life. So now my brokenness, my guilt, I may have committed this wrong that I could have dealt with, but now it's caused me to feel a sense of shame and guilt and lying, and I can't remember how I got from here to here, and now I'm trying to cover this up with with substances even or with some other form of comfort because it all began with simply trying to cover up a sin. Secret sins, and they won't stay secret forever. They won't. So stop that. Whatever that is, whatever those things are in your life, I I just encourage you this morning, uncover them first before the Lord. He already sees them. You're wasting your time, my friends. You're wasting your time. He already sees them. And more than are you wasting your time, you're running from the very person who can deal with it. Just saying. 
here you go, God. I know you already see it. I'm sorry I've been running for you for, for days, weeks, for years. Here it is. Look at this mess. Tell me what I need to do about this. <laughs> Secret sins. Let's get rid of them. Open them up. We can't really hide our guilt anyway. It's like a shadow. I prayed this, this morning, first you'll unpack it before the Lord and then find a trusted believer, someone, someone you can release this to. I'm telling you, there's power. There's such power in just uncovering this to people. There's so much baggage you're hanging on to that you can release to God. And then if you'll go tell a, a brother or sister in Christ who you know loves you and say, this is what I've been up to. And I've got to get this off my chest. It's got to go. Watch God just release the chains. Just, just break the chains in your life. Here's the third way. Because casting it upon the Lord sets us free from guilt. This is the final step. He says, I acknowledged it. I didn't cover it up anymore. And I confessed it to the Lord. This is a step further. It's the idea, the word here, confession, is the idea of to use your hand to throw something, like to throw a stone or it can even has this idea of like wringing out something to get every last drop out of it. This is a really interesting Hebrew word, this idea of I'm not just going to partially tell some of this. I'm going to like full on, full on dump this at your feet, God. Like I'm, I have done this, I've done this, search my heart, oh God, so that I can wring out every drop and say, all right. I heard my, I've heard my dad say this for years. And he, he may have gotten this from someone else. I don't know. But it's the idea of praying yourself empty. That you come at a, a, to the Lord with repentance and you just pray until you can't think of anything else to pray. And wringing out every drop. Okay. And the relief that comes from that. To stop hanging on to it. Laying it at his feet. And the psalmist says what the Gospels go on to say, and that is, He has forgiven our iniquities. Isaiah speaks to this, that he became, he became our iniquity. He took it on. He became sin who knew no sin, it says in the Gospels. It says later in Corinthians, this is what Christ has done. We've laid it at His feet. We fully wrung it out. Let Him see all of our sin and, and let, us, let Him know, and, hey, I'm fully bankrupt here, but I trust you, God. That you have the cattle on a thousand hills. You've already dealt with my sin. It is paid for. I've wrung it back out to you. And as believers, my friends, as believers, this process isn't over. I think, I love that piece of Ryan's testimony that we watched. I think that's the part of walking with Christ that can be a struggle to us. And it shouldn't be. Is this idea, all right, I, I confess to this thing. I'm done with it. Sometimes, not every time, sometimes that old nasty wound starts hurting again. And then guess what I have to do? Wring it back out. It's yours again, God. And I don't want it to creep back in my life. But I only, the only way that it's not going to is if I walk closely with you. If I start doing things on my own again, here it comes. And there's such a temptation to do that. To begin to lead one's own life. To drive. <laughs> to get back into the throne. We've got to wring it out afresh. Putting our sin guilt on him. This is something God was teaching his people. From the, from the very beginning. When he called out his people. He's dealing with this in Leviticus 16. Look at this. as He's dealing with here the priest. The high priest Aaron. 
It says in 1621, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat, of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the, the people of Israel, and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. This is this idea of the scapegoat. You've probably heard this term, the scapegoat. It's a biblical term. It's the idea of wringing that stuff out and putting it out of the camp. This is, my friends, this is what repentance really looks like. This is true confession. All right, here's all my stuff, God. Now put it away from me. And this might mean, this might mean whatever that area is of temptation for you, that, that place that you go that causes that, you don't go back to that place anymore. Oh, but, you know, I like to have a drink every once in a while. Well, you, you have struggled with drunkenness so much of your life. Why would you go back to that place? Well, that makes a lot of sense, Jonathan. I get that piece, but I have this problem. It's no different. It's, it's no different. When, when I stay up late by myself, that's when, that's when I watch stuff I shouldn't watch. Well, stop doing that. Maybe... Maybe, maybe we do such a good workout in the afternoon that you're exhausted. I don't know. You figure this thing out. Don't go to that place where the, where the brokenness is. No, they, they, put, they put their hands on this scapegoat, and this is what we still do in Jesus. We say, all of this, I'm laying it at your feet. Now put it away from me, and I'm walking from it. I'm not going to continue to go to this place where I am greatly tempted. Why would I do that to myself? No, I cast it at your feet like the scapegoat. And when we put our guilt on Jesus, he becomes our sacrifice. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I pray as you leave today, as we come to a, a close today, that you would feel a sense that you don't have to linger here anymore. You don't have to hang on to this baggage anymore. That the greatest gift has been given to us, that Christ Jesus has bore our sin on himself and our sins have been paid for. We are healed and we can continue to be healed when we walk with him and trust him. This is wonderful news. This is how Ryan ended his testimony. He's saying now, my family is able to see me living in victory now. That is the story of so many believers I've seen. I pray it continues to be my story. That I would be more like Christ today than I was yesterday. That I'm walking closer with him today than yesterday. I'm not perfect. There's so many broken spots. There's this wonderful thing he continues to do. He continues to poke and prod and say, hey, let's deal with that. That thing's out of joint. Let's fix that. And I, f I feel more and more like I'm walking with him every day that I just uncover it and lay it at his feet. And I don't, I don't have to struggle with a sense of anxiety and no, the peace is there in the release of it. There's nothing God wants me to hold on to. There's nothing he wants me to be a slave to. And here's this wonderful thing I love that he said, and I want to remind you of it, you're never too far gone. No matter how old you are, no matter how awful you've done something. I believe the cross, the story of the cross, is the greatest testimony of that. Is that a man to his side... Got to go to paradise, and all he said was, hey, remember me. He is evidence that you're not too far gone. 
and there's a lot of evidences for this, but he's certainly one of them, that you can be on, you can be hanging on your last moment. Christ, will you remember me in paradise? Will you remember me in your kingdom? That is such good news to me today, and it should be good news to you today. And I don't know what you've been dealing with. I don't know what you've been hanging on to. Maybe it's something you did a long time ago. Maybe it's something you feel guilty for that happened to you. and You've been hanging on to it. You're not too far gone. Not even close. Christ loves you. Wants to restore you. Wants to heal that very wound. We've been doing this thing. We moved it to Thursday nights. I want to give you a couple of of opportunities, if there's some baggage, there's some things you've been wrestling with, some habits, hurts, hang-ups, things like that that you've been just hanging on to and you really need a community of people to help you wrestle with them. We have this thing called Celebrate Recovery and our one of our local churches too, a good friend of mine over at Inglewood Baptist, they do it on Tuesdays and I can link you up with them if Tuesday's better. But Thursday night at our Wilson campus, we're doing Celebrate Recovery and we've already kind of worked through some of these recovery things together. The first week we're talking about realizing I'm not God. That's the R in recovery. The E is earnestly believing that God exists, this hope step that God's the answer. And then C is consciously choosing to commit. And this week we're talking about this idea of the O, that we would openly examine and confess our faults. That a step to our healing is to finally say, all right, I'm an open book before you, God. And hopefully before some others that love me and care for me. Will you acknowledge your need for God's provision? Will you stop hiding it? Stop hiding it. Confess it so that you can be healed and forgiven. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask, we ask for something that I know you are more than happy to give. That is that you would forgive us our brokenness, forgive our sins. I'm asking now, Lord that you would reveal to us. I'll pray just like the psalmist prays. Search us, O oh God. Search our hearts. Search our actions over the last few days. Search our hearts. Search in those deep places, those areas where we can't, we can't seem to overcome some stuff. There's a reason underneath why we feel a sense of depression or an ongoing anxiety or a struggle with, with some addiction or... This, some, we're angry a lot. We deal with people in ways we don't want to. We, at the end of the day, we're sitting there thinking, why was, I, why was I rude to that person? Why did I say that? And There's this thing, there's things underneath that we've not wrestled with, we've not dealt with. I just pray, God, search our hearts and bring those to light right now. My friends, if God is bringing something, something to the table, something to your mind, would you, would you acknowledge it? Would you acknowledge it before him right now? Say, Lord, I, I see that. I see that too. I agree with you. That right there. I need, I need forgiveness for that. Will you overcome that in my life, God? Will you, will you heal me of that in my life? God, I'm doing the same. I'm laying that before you. Those things you're bringing to my mind. I thank you, Lord, that you love us enough not only to save us from an eternal separation from you, but, but also you save us from this dangerous stuff we've doing to ourselves. I'm so thankful that that's the kind of God you are. You're, you're a total Savior, not just in part, but in whole. 
I'm so thankful for who you are, God. And I'm praying for that person who's walked in here today that they've, they've not even gone that step. They've not even received the point of salvation. And that, God, I pray you've been just really laying your hand on them heavily. That, that they feel a sense of, I've got to do something about this separation I feel from God, this brokenness I feel in my life. I've, I need to do something with it. I pray if that's you today, that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to work. I, I pray that you would allow Jesus to, to be your, your payment. He already is that, but we have to come and acknowledge it. We have to receive it for ourselves. If that's you today, pray simply with me. As, as Paul puts to the Romans, he says, If you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. It's been paid for. I believe that. That by your wounds... I am healed. I believe that. And more than that, Jesus, I believe that you want to continue to heal these broken places in my life. That gives me such hope, Lord. Would you continue to do a work in me? Set me free from all of these things. And I thank you this morning for salvation. Dear friend, if you prayed that with me, welcome to the family of God. And we're praying right along with you that very last part of God, would you continue to heal us in our broken places? Would you guide us, guide our steps, continue to, to search us and reveal to us where we are far from you and where you want to heal that? God, I pray that you would make us the kind of church that no longer hides our iniquities, the kind of church that isn't faking it. I don't want to be a part of that church, God. Help us to be real, real with one another, but first real with you so that you can truly make us into your image. We love you. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.